out coast to coast podcast back at it again with another episode man it's the first episode of the new year 2022 and there's no better way to intro the new year with a great guest one of the only the legend ryan bolton so if you don't know who ryan is ryan was an all-american runner at the university of wyoming in 2000 ryan competed at the sydney olympics games as a triathlete so like come on this guy's a a former olympian so like we're getting on the big deal here and in 2009 ryan formed the harambe project who who which is formed of a group of elite elite distance runners including the 2015 boston marathon champion caroline rotich sam long the number four ranked triathlete in the world and many more but listen we're just glad to have ryan on it's been a long time since we've had our last episode and let's start off the new year hot ryan how are you I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me on. It it makes me realize now that it's 2022 and it is the new year that I was in the Olympics 22 years ago, which makes me feel rather old. (laughs) It was was a while back. You you were on the year that I was born. Okay, so you know what? It's a great year. 2000 was a great year. But we're glad. First of all, we're glad to have you on. Uh, our first question, let's start off. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the transition that you've had from becoming an all-American runner to focusing on becoming a triathlete, and then which ended up in you competing in the Olympics? Yeah, totally. You know, I grew up in Wyoming, in relatively rural Wyoming, which is kind of a strange place for a triathlete to be from. But uh, I actually grew up in a town that had a pretty solid sporting infrastructure because it was an oil and gas town. So our facilities, my high school facilities, were pretty amazing for all sports. And I mean, and sports were big football, basketball, you know, uh, you know, especially the big sports, they were big, but I mean, they, they really supported track and field and swimming as well. So I ended up getting a scholarship, but uh, to the university of Wyoming, but when I was younger, I actually did swim a lot and I biked a lot and, um, in 95, 96, uh, range. And, uh, which yeah, pre, pre you guys being born, <laughs> but, uh, what triathlon was going to be an official Olympic sport, which was pretty serendipitous with my graduation. And, uh, so it was pretty easy for me to make the decision at that point that, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to transition from this whole running thing into becoming a triathlete and, uh, do what I can over the next four years to make the Olympic team. It's awesome. I mean, similar. I I went to boarding school like in Culver, Indiana. So it was really in the middle of nowhere, and like we had the we had like these amazing facilities. Like our rowing like center was like unbelievable. Like like we had all everything, but it was just kind of weird because like they supported like a a bunch of different sports. Like we weren't like a huge basketball or football school, so it was kind of similar to my experience. Um. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. But overall, like, how did your training change? Because, you know, kind of being from a runner, then to transition to being a triathlete, did anything really specific change? Like, how did overall did your training change? Yeah, it was a funky transition because, you know, I mean, I knew how to train for endurance sports, but, uh, you know, all of a sudden you're doing three sports as opposed to training was I basically took what I was doing from run training um, and kept that at the full level and then I just full level biker loads. And um as you can imagine by the end of that year I was I was pretty trash. I was pretty smoked. I was basically overdoing it a bit. But um fortunately also at the end of the year, uh that year uh, I I got a, a coach kind of I would say the godfather of triathlon coaching. So I, I ended up getting connected with him and he was an 
amazing coach and he kind of set me straight, gave me some guidance. Got it. So, um, let's, um, talk about your time at Wyoming a little bit. How do, how do you end up going there? And was it like your first, like first look, first offer and how was your time at Wyoming? Yeah. You know, Wyoming is a, I mean, it's a division one school in Wyoming, the state of Wyoming only has 550,000 people, which is like, you know, not even a, a small borough and weird place to grow up and also, you know, an interesting university in that it's the only, you know, big division one school in the state. Um, you know, I did, I went on recruiting trips to multiple schools and everything, but what it came down to is that Wyoming um, had very little money and, uh, and they offered me by far, you know, the biggest scholarship and everything. Plus I, since high school, I knew the coach there. I actually knew the coach. I had a relationship with the coach and I really liked him. His name was Jim Sanchez. And uh, yeah. And so it was kind of, you know, there were other schools that I was looking at that I, I was potentially interested in, but Wyoming ended up being uh, the, a good deal financially. Plus uh, it, it, the university of Wyoming, if, if you guys, you're probably not super familiar with it. It's at, uh, it's at, 7,000 feet of elevation and, uh, you know, it's a pretty rural place too. So for running, for endurance training, you know, that's a great elevation to be at. Um, it's really good for your cardiovascular system and, and for your strength. And, uh, so it was a really neat place, uh, to be and to train. And it just made a lot of sense. And I'm, I, I'm glad I made that decision because, uh, it, it ended up being a great place for me to be both in school and just for running. That's great. I didn't even think about the elevation. I mean, that must have must helped you a lot. That's uh, that's awesome. So, uh, as athletes, everybody's goal is to represent our country in the Olympics, and you were able to do that. Like, how was that experience? I mean, representing our country, and like, what's one memory you'll never forget from the Olympics? Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about the Olympics is as the the actual race component of it. You know, when you're in the race, and I would say, you know, if you're talking to a hockey player, a basketball player. They would say, you know, the same thing is the actual race was just a normal race. You know, it was against the same guys that, you know, I'd been racing against the, the multiple years before, you know, the same sensations, the same dynamics, all that type of stuff. I would say what's what's special and magical about the Olympic experience and the opening ceremonies and the all the other sports going on and living in the Olympic village and, you know, all of those components and um that's that's ultimately what makes it a unique and special experience. I, and I guess it was kind of surprising to me because, you know, growing up, like you said, as you know, as a kid, you dream of being in the Olympics. And when I was actually in 45 minutes of time, it just felt like a normal, uh, a normal race, a normal event. But everything else was like the really kind of special you know, part of it. All right. So leading up to the Olympics, what was your training like and how are you really feeling going into it? Yeah, it's a great question. Triathlon training is um, it's pretty intensive because, you know, you have three sports plus you're doing strength training and everything. So I would say, um, you know, you're you're training seven days a week every day. You pretty much never have off days. Um, You know, you definitely have lighter days and heavier days, but and you almost do like, you know, during that period, during the I mean, really, technically, you could say I'd been training for the Olympics since I was 10 years old because, you know, you just kind of it's a constant building of an engine. But, um, you know, in the lead up, like I was actually I was really good there. And I put in like 30 ish hours a week of training. So um, and it's pretty, you know, spread out, like in the running and the strength training. 
Um, it's like I said, it's pretty intensive and, you know, you go through these cycles of like really high intensity training, take a little bit of a break and then build into it. Honestly, my Olympic prep feeling like I was in my top, top, top condition just because of, you know, various things that happened during training and everything. And, um, I mean, I was still in pretty good shape, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I wasn't in like, I would say I wasn't at my peak, peak condition, which is obviously where you need to be if you want to be, you know, competing at the top, top level of the Olympics. I mean, yeah, the grind is unbelievable. You said you've been training pretty much since you're 10 years old and like the hard days, the easier days, the high intensity days, like that's, that's unbelievable to do at like a, the highest level. But what was your reaction when you found out you first made the Olympic team, like knowing that all of your goals came to fruition that year? Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's really an amazing feeling. And I remember the trials race that I qualified. Um, I had tons of confidence going into the race and the race ended up actually not going very well at all. Like I had uh, a subpar swim for my normal swim and, and I had to do some funky things on the bike and it really came down to the run for me on that day. But I can tell you, and this is more of a mindset thing. Like there was no doubt in my mind that I was making the Olympic team. So on that trials day, like I just did everything. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I just had the mindset I had in my mind that I was going to make the team. And honestly, because it's something that you dream of since, you know, being a young, young kid and all of a sudden when it becomes reality, it's really, it's, it's really surreal. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't even imagine that feeling. Like, I mean, we both, I know, watch the Olympics like every, every year and like, it's on it's just i mean it's just amazing i can't even can't imagine what that feeling was like especially after all that hard work is is finally paid off um yeah kind of going off that like what is what was your like strongest area was it the running was it the the biking or was it the swimming like in the trial or really like throughout your career yeah running was just because that was my biggest background and i think that's where i excelled the most so um, it ended up being ultimately, you know, my, my greatest strength and it's where I felt the most confident. Um, you know, if, if you're competing at the top level in triathlon, you have to be super solid, of course, in all three, in all three sports. But, um, I think that just comes from, you know, my collegiate career as a runner and, you know, having that background and everything. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure that experience in running college really helped and all that training. Um, but as I mentioned in the bio, you founded the Harambe Project in 2009. Can you talk to us a little bit about the meaning of Harambe and like how your experience has been since founding it? Yeah, so Harambe is it's a Swahili term, which is, you know, the primary language in Kenya. And um, it's also spoken in a couple of other uh, countries in, in Africa and East Africa. But Harambe, the, the, the meaning of the word is kind of like as a group, we can accomplish more. And a lot of times when you ask the East African runners that I work with, you know, why are they as good as they are? And they would say, well, it's because they're in time together and they feel like that they really feed off of each other, you know, and that like actually training as a group, you know, and being together and with, with similar goals and similar ideas um, actually helps them be successful. So I thought it was, would be a cool name because that's basically what we had, you know, we have a a group of athletes all training together with a common goal. Um, it's the interesting thing about individual sports is, 
you know, you have, uh, you know, athletes that are training together, but they're basically competing directly against each other as well. You know, you don't have that, you know, in big sports, you know, football team, they're all training together, you know, with the same goal, they want to win a game and they're not competing against each other. So I think Harambe is kind of extra special when you have a group of individual athletes who are actually competing against each other, but they, but they actually train together and feed off of each other, you know, for those individual competitions. And, uh, and that's what, when, you know, when race day comes around, kind of all of that, uh, they actually, even, even on race days, sometimes that's the whole idea and concept behind Harambe. That's, that's great. I mean, that's a great idea. Like I really love that idea of like that common goal and yet they're all, everybody's working together as like a team, obviously track, like all this is a triathlon is an individual sport, but it's great to like see that you're helping other people grow that, like the first grow the sport of triathlon and second, just, you know, make everybody each, each other better. That's really, really inspiring. But I wanted to ask you, what is the day in the life of a coach look for like for you for like a coach with the Harambe project? Yeah. So, you know, it, it varies at different times of the year because at certain times of the year, you know, the athletes that I work with are spread around the world, basically, you know, racing different races. And especially since I deal with runners and triathletes, so they're all over the place. And um, so I'm actually, I can almost be anywhere in the world, um, you know, online tracking their progress. Cause that's a lot of the training is, um, you know, just, uh, it, it is via online and, you know, me watching what they're doing, but there's other times of the year. And this is actually one of those times of the year where, you know, a lot of the athletes are in a central location. We normally are in a weather, a warm weather location, and I get to spend, you know, day, day to day activities with athletes for, you know, actually attending their workouts, being a part of their workouts and everything, which is really, I mean, it's kind of a cliche almost to say it as a coach, but those are the best days is when, you know, you're actually in person with your athletes, like, you know, going through the training with them. Cause you can like really experience it. You know, this isn't a field and or a court type sport. So it's not always that easy being, you know, next to the athletes training all the time, you know, they're out on a 150 mile bike ride. Um, I clearly, at my age and uh, fitness level can't just go out on a 150 mile bike ride with my top level athletes. So, you know, um, I sometimes can go out on some, but you know, when they're doing, um, you know, closer workouts or swim workouts or run workouts, and even on some bike workouts, they'll go out or you can even drive out um, with them. But it, that's what it looks like. It's pretty dynamic with, with especially the sport of triathlon because there is so much training involved. And it also covers so much ground. So, um, but I can tell you as a coach, that is the best part of coaching is actually being one-on-one with the athletes in person. I mean, that's, that's amazing to think about just, I mean, the level of training they have to do. And I mean, it must be tough for you as a coach sometimes, like not, not being able to like be there with them when they're on the bike ride. Like it's just, that's really interesting thing about how, how it varies. No, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's not, um, it's not really, uh, a similar, um, you know, like, like I said, it's not like people show up to practice every day. I would say the sport that's most like that of triathlon is swimming, you know, because people show up at a swim pool and it is a, covers a lot of ground. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for, for sure. So like, let's say it's leading up to it, like a triathlete, like a, a meet and it's like a month out. What is like one of your athletes training look like in terms of like, let's say if, if they're weaker in the, in the swimming or the biking, would you focus more on that? Or like, how does it really like vary like leading up to it? 
Yeah, so it varies based on a couple of things. Um, you know, I work with athletes who are what we call like Olympic distance athletes or, you know, which is short course draft legal is the world triathlon circuit. And those are the athletes that are, you know, training for the Olympics and, um, and, you know, following that circuit, a very different circuit and very different, almost athlete. It's almost a different sport is long course triathlon, which is, you know, what you hear about the Ironman type racing. So I have two different, you know, sets of athletes that, you know, are doing, you know, those, those two different types of racing, not many athletes actually cross over between those two, um, sports, but you know, the last month for each of them, the way that it's different, uh, between those two, the Olympic athletes and the long course athletes is just the specificity of the training. I would say as we get closer to a race, to a race, their, their training becomes, more, you know, an Olympic athlete, you know, you're focusing on way higher intensity speed, you know, really quick stuff, anaerobic work, et cetera. Whereas with a long course athlete, you know, you're still putting in some big volume and doing like some very specific like tempo work, which is significantly lower um, intensity equally as hard. <laughs> it's a, a it, it's, it's just a lot longer. So I guess kind of the answer to that question is as we get close to the race, that last month in race, the, the, the training is incredibly specific to what those athletes are doing at that time. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate that. But um, you're one of the top coaches in the world right now for triathletes, for anything in general. But like, what's one thing as a coach you'd give to all athletes that you've trained? They're trying to make it to where you've been. Yeah, you know, it it's actually simplicity. And I think that's a big thing is, um, you know, a lot of people think that there's some magic bullet or there's some, you know, magic pill that they can you know, do or take, or there's some secret, you know, program and everything. And I guess I always tell people there's not, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's ultimately what makes a great athlete. I would say in any sport is consistency over time. You know what I mean? Day in, day out training, being really consistent with the training, being committed to the program and uh, you know, and staying healthy, honestly, those things that's, that's really huge. And then the other part of that is mindset. And like, especially with professional athletes is just having a super pro mindset. When I say a super pro mindset, I don't mean, you know, that means that you approach the training in a professional way. I mean, of course, that's a huge part of it, but I think, you know, approaching every piece of their life and every way that they, um, you know, go about their professional careers, whether it's dealing with sponsors, you know, and or contracts and teams and nutrition and sleeping and relationships like all of those pieces, like putting all of those pieces together and treating it in a very professional manner. Those are the athletes that I see that are, are the most successful. Hey, you know, Ryan, when you were talking about it, you mentioned taking care of your body and it kind of made me thinking like, how does an athlete, like one of your athletes after going on uh, however long a run, or you mentioned like 150 mile bike ride, like how does they, how do they recover to train the next day or maybe even the day after? Cause they, I mean, I, I'm sure they're used to it, but there still has to be like some type of soreness. Like what does the recovery look like? Like after like a day of training, it's a delicate balance. Like I would say the hard thing about recovery is that different athletes to uh, recover at different rates. So you have to know your athletes pretty intimately to understand, you know, how much recovery they act need on both uh, like a micro and a cycle. You look at, you know, both kind of understanding your athletes like really, really well and, and what each of them need. But um, I, I can't emphasize that enough. I, I think a lot of mistakes that 
uh, athletes make and harder at her and, uh, you know, all, all that stuff. But honestly, kind of what we were just talking about, a big part of being professional, like those recovery days are absolutely critical. And, uh, and in knowing how much that from a coaching standpoint, knowing how much each athlete specifically needs is like an incredible athletes are alike. And I think that's one of the, the biggest challenges of of coaching. Yeah, most definitely. Recovery days are very, very important, of course. And, you know, having that, knowing that balance of your athletes between that recovery day or pushing them a little extra is so important. That's what separates like the good coaches, the great coaches or the bad coaches. So definitely good to like know that balance, but what is a rookie, like a rookie or common mistake that athletes make in training or competition that, you know, you would advise against? Yeah, I totally say, you know, one thing that I say, especially about Western athletes and, um, you know, when, and when I say Western Indians that I work with or that I see is, uh, is they have a tendency. It's, it's kind of what we were just talking about with recovery is they have too easy on hard days. So every day, you know, of training is like at this very moderate level and in endurance sports, it's really important to have that variability of, you know, hard, easy, hard, easy. And, you know, I see these athletes, like I said, so they go too hard on their easy day. So they're a little bit trashed and a little bit tired for their hard day. So then their hard day is just kind of get on this like treadmill of, of mediocrity all the time. And I always tell people, you know, like a big key to that is just mistake that people make it is, is not doing that, not following that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really interesting to hear. I mean, I, I honestly wasn't expecting that type of answer. Um, like that's, that's really interesting to hear. I mean, like I didn't even think about like on the easy day, like, cause I feel like some athletes like have trouble, like not almost pushing themselves and kind of like taking a little easy and just kind of following the schedule. That's a, uh, that's really interesting to hear. Yeah. Especially, you know, professional athletes, they're just so highly motivated and so, you know, they want to please you as a coach. And, you know, and like I said, that, you know, they have these personalities that they're always like wanting the best. So it's hard for them actually, you know, sometimes they're like, well, you know, I want to go hard again. I want to go hard again. <laughs> uh, so yeah, holding them back. I always find with professional athletes, like you, you, my job is often more times, you know, holding them back than telling them to go, you know, they don't have any problems going. They have a hard time slowing down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely see that on some of the athletes I've been around. That's, that's really interesting. Um, so you also coach for the USA triathlon team. How has that been? And like helping that your experience there, like transitioning, transitioning that to the Harambe project, like how, how has that been? Yeah. So technically with USA triathlon, I'm, I'm, my title is I'm the performance manager, which means that I, I don't work directly with any of the athletes that are on our national team. Um, cause it would be a conflict of interest if, if I were, you know, to coach any of them directly. So to work with the, the athletes that they work with just like on an advisory level. And I mean, from anything from equipment to travel to, you know, training, um, and, and it really varies from athlete to athlete from coach to coach, like how much and how, you know, how much I help with, with each of them. And I guess also like I'm an advisor for the staff at USA triathlon when we're making decisions, you know, various things to do, you know, our level athlete for their COVID 
you know, some of the best uh, athletes in, in the country for sure. And definitely, you know, the Americans are very good. So some of the best athletes in the world, um, you know, this, this past year, I was in Tokyo for the Olympics with all of them and, you know, part of that process, which is like such a pleasure. And it's really after being in the Olympics as an athlete, you know, to be back there, like as an advisor and an advisory role, it's really neat to see it through that lens and, you know, to be a part as both the coach and the athlete at this point, you know, at that level of competition too. And, and, um, and it, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really, it's really a pretty process to watch athletes go through and, and to be a part of. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting process, the whole training stuff. And obviously you mentioned earlier about health, health, like being important and obviously very important in every athlete's, you know, regimen recovery, you know, preparing and just being in the top shape possible. But you received an, uh, an MS in human nutrition with the emphasis on stress metabolism from grad school. So what are your thoughts on many athletes changing uh, to plant-based diets? And how do you advise your athletes to eat in the racing week? Yeah. So, I mean, plant-based diets are fantastic and are effective. And we know that they work actually really well. Um, the thing about it is I think that in general athletes, if they are in a plant-based diet, particularly in endurance sports, but I, I would say in all sports is, you know, just making sure that they're doing it properly and that they have, if, if they're not, you know, incredibly, you know, educated on the subject that they have and, um, for recovery, uh, we were just talking and, and, uh, making sure that you get enough protein is sometimes a bit more of a challenge with a plant-based based diet. If you don't know what you're doing, if you do, it's totally possible. It's definitely, um, I mean, I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm a fan of plant-based diets. I have athletes who are can certainly make it work and they can make it work well. Um, but, uh, they just have to have, like I said, sometimes it can be just a little bit more of a challenge and, uh, you know, sometimes they might need a little more, um, advice, like based on, on what they eat. What was the second part of the question, Tyler? Um, the second part of the question oh. was, um, how do you advise your athletes to eat in race week? Yeah. You know, it's for endurance sports. It's, it's, uh, it, it, it's different than I would say other sports because you guys have probably heard of the, you know, the, the term that does happen. And there is actually a window prior to an endurance race, particularly races, you know, that are longer, you know, when you're dealing with these Ironman and half Ironman type distances is where carbohydrate loading is a thing. And, you know, honestly, what happens the week of a race, a big race in particular is athletes are actually, um, a little bit like, uh, their, their training levels are down, you know, they're tapering and everything. And sometimes people have a tendency to overeat on those weeks. But anyway, that for me, like we really stick with a good, clean, solid diet, still a really nice balance of fat, carbohydrates, protein. And then usually about 48 hours from the race, like up the percentage of carbohydrates just a bit, um, to make sure that they are topped off and their fuel tanks are completely topped off. And, um, I mean, it is critical, but there's really no magic, magic, magic science to it. It's just really kind of keeping it simple and making sure to eat clean foods and, uh, and a good variety of foods at that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's interesting to hear, especially during the race, like kind of how that varies and like the common mistakes with eating. Um, so kind of changing pace here. This is our last question. 
So for you as an athlete, let's say it's before a race, like what's your go-to song or like what was your routine before before the race? Like did you have like did you pop the headphones in and kind of kind of zone out or were you more of like a uh, just no headphones but kind of just focusing on my breathing type of thing before? Yeah, I, I honestly, I did not listen to music much like before races. Like I was really kind of like just kind of in my own space in my own zone. And I, I, um, it's interesting because I listen to music sometimes when I was training and like as, as a student, I often listen to music, you know, when I was studying and everything, because I would around the music out and it would help me focus on everything else that I was focusing on. But as an athlete pre race um i always found it helpful to not have music on and i was just kind of in my own skip that way with with music <laughs> and they can like listen to music and it kind of drowns everything out but i think a lot of other athletes you know they, they don't even need the music and they're just you know purely focused on on what they're doing i can tell you you do get in your own little world and oftentimes before a race you know in the hour leading up to a race or something you know people come up and ask you a question and you're kind of like you know, and, and you almost, you, you almost don't hear the question because you are without having headphones on. Right. Definitely important to get in your own zone. Obviously every athlete is different with their psycho- psychology before a race. Like some athletes need music to hype them up. Some athletes need to decompress. And it's really impressive if you like for a lot of athletes to just decompress and get in their own zone. So I really appreciate that for me. That's actually really cool that you can just like lock in, not listen to any, like not listen to any music and get in tune with your own head. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting with team sports, for example, you know, how much communication, I mean, cause I, you know, you see these guys, you know, warming up in the NBA and, and et cetera, you know, and you can tell that they're pretty much in their own zone, but you also, they have to have, you don't have to do that. You can totally be in your own world and everything. Whereas, you know, those guys, they have to be both in touch with, you know, you know, kind of like in tune with the team too. So that, that's, kind of an interesting component of you know those guys in team sports yeah, it's interesting because we had an nba guy on like last summer since charles jenkins he put in the warriors he's overseas now and he was saying when he was younger he listened to like a ton of music before games and now he said like he's about 31 now and he's saying that now like he almost gets too hyped before games so he just listens to like if he listens to any music at all he'll listen to like some like soothing like almost like jazz music with like no lyrics so, I mean, it's interesting to hear to hear your take on it with not listening to music because we've just heard so many different people say like what they do before games, matches, whatever it is. So it's really interesting to hear. Yeah, totally. So, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure having having great guests on and it's no different here. We really appreciate you for taking your time out of your day to just come on and kick it with us. And um, so my question is what's next for Ryan Bolton? Um, what's next for Harambe project? Um, do you have any socials that you want to like tell people that they can reach out to you for and just tell us a little bit about what's next for you? Yeah, totally. I mean, for me, it's just continuing to plug away. I, I would say as my career for, progresses as a coach, like I, I focus, like because I do work with, um, you know, all types of athletes and, you know, athletes who compete, you know, at all levels, both professionally and within the amateur ranks. And I would say, you know, the further I get along in my career, the more focused I am like on my pros and, and my group of pro, pro athletes um, acutely. Uh, what's next for me is I, I spend the winter, most of the winter in Arizona, because that's where a lot of my athletes are. And we have a really solid training group there. 
And it's, it's, it's kind of one of my favorite times of the year to get together with all the athletes. And, you know, so that's actually what I'm up to next is, is getting down there and, you know, spending some good time, getting in some big miles with, with my whole crew down there, which is, which is awesome. Um, yeah, on social, I mean, you can find me on like Instagram, Facebook, I'm at coach Ryan Bolton. Um, our other, my, our group, uh, coaching group is at Bolton endurance on Instagram. Um, yeah, cause we do, I have a, I have a group of coaches that work with me. There's about 18 coaches in our group. Um, it's called Bolton endurance sports training and you have some super solid coaches and yeah, we, we work with athletes around the world, um, all endurance sports, you know, cycling, running, triathlon, swimming. Um, and we even have some, you know, kind of like off sports, uh, or, or, or different endurance sports, like, you know, like Nordic skiing and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. But yeah, you can find me at, uh, at, uh, coach Ryan Bolton or at Bolton endurance, either of those. Thank you so much, Ryan, for coming on. You can reach out to their, uh, Ryan there on his socials. And of course, it's it's always great to have another episode of the Coast to Coast podcast. We're back. It's 2022. We're back coming on in hot. And it's great to have me, Ryan, Henry on. And, you know, you can follow us on all socials at CTOC Podcast IV. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at the Coast to Coast Podcast IV. Until next one, signing off. See you guys. Thanks, Ryan. Right on, guys. Yeah, thanks.